Hi, welcome to the first EU public meeting extra. What we're going to be doing in these series of podcasts, we hope, is to explore at some greater depth some of the issues that we haven't had time to explore in the EU public meeting series as we've been looking through the Gospel of Mark this year. So my name is Rowan Kemp and I'm holed up in a little corner in our house during the COVID-19 crisis Um, and I've been out for my morning walk with my wife Jenny and our dog and now I'm sitting down to record this podcast looking at a couple of things that came up in the EU public meeting this week from Mark chapters 2 and 3. There were three issues in particular that I was keen to explore. The first one is the relationship between sick sickness and sin, which came up in the story that Mark records for us about Jesus healing the paralyzed man who's lowered down through the roof by his mates. And Jesus, instead of healing him straight away, he actually pronounces his forgiveness of sins. Uh, So I want to explore the relationship between sin and sickness, because actually in the Bible there's quite a deep connection between those things, which we didn't get time to um, explore in the public meeting. The other issue that I'm keen to think about today is the issue of the Sabbath day, because one of the, or a couple of confrontations Jesus has there in Mark chapter 2 and 3 about the Sabbath day, the Jewish holy day. Um, And I think we really should think a bit about that and think about what does the Sabbath day mean today for Christians, for people who are following Jesus in 2020. And I think it would be helpful for us to think a little bit about that. I've got a few thoughts to share there. The third issue that I'd like to explore is to do with Jesus' quite revolutionary uh, claim to his own family that really he needed higher loyalty than the family did. It comes out at the end of chapter 3 when Jesus says to those sitting around him, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Those who do the will of God are my mother, my brother, my sister. And so it's quite a revolutionary claim as part of the kingdom of God that Jesus has a higher loyalty than one's family. And I was keen to explore that as well, but I just don't think we're going to get time today to explore all three. So I might hold that one over to future weeks. We'll see how we go. So today we want to particularly explore the issues of sin and sickness and the idea of the Sabbath. So let's start with sin and sickness and think about that episode that Mark records where the man, the paralyzed man's friends lower him down through the roof. And Jesus, we read there in Mark's Gospel, Jesus sees their faith, that is the faith of the friends, but also of the man himself. He sees their faith and then says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now that's a really interesting thing that Jesus says at that point. You might wonder, is it just a, a sort of a clever piece of misdirection in a way? They want him to heal, obviously, their paralyzed friend. But Jesus has another agenda and wants to address the sin issue. Is it just a bit of misdirection? Well, I'd actually say that um, from the scriptures that there's actually a, a very deep connection between sin and sickness. It's not just a piece of misdirection. There's something deeper going on here. But what exactly is Jesus saying? Because you, you could read it like this. You could read it that Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and then says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. Meaning that 
the sins that have brought you this paralysis have been given. Could Jesus be suggesting that this paralysis, this sickness, is actually a consequence of that man's own sin? And then Jesus deals with that sin. Well, you have to ask the question, are there other examples in the Bible where that sort of connection between specific sin and a specific sickness are drawn? Well, there's a couple of examples you could maybe think about. One is, if you know the story of Job in the Old Testament, you know, Job's terribly afflicted. His family die tragically. He's afflicted um, himself with sores and sickness. And his life is just terrible. And Job's three friends, known as Job's comforters, uh, come to him and they sit with him in silence for seven days. And then they start sharing their supposed insight. And in particular, the, the sort of bit of a theme of what they have to say to Job is, Job, you need obviously to repent. This is such a terrible situation that's befallen you there must be something wrong between you and God so you need to repent this is this is a consequence of your sin and you need to acknowledge that and deal with that that's sort of the broad line of their advice but can we actually draw that line that Job's friends draw is personal sickness a specific judgment from God on a personal sin well, there are some examples in the Bible where the answer to that question is yes. Sometimes personal sickness is a specific judgment on a personal sin. Just yesterday morning after I had my breakfast, I was sitting down on the lounge just to sort of read my Bible before I got into the day's sort of EU work. And I happened to be reading through Genesis and I was just reading the story about Abram. You might know him as Abraham. The story about Abram and his wife, Sarai. And this rather terrible story, really, in Genesis 12, where Abram goes down to Egypt and he's worried that because his wife is very beautiful, that he's worried that they'll kill him and take her as a wife for someone else. Anyway, so he convinces Sarai to um, say that she is Abram's brother rather than husband, rather than wife, sorry. And they go down to Egypt, and sure enough, that's what the story they tell. And Pharaoh then takes Sarai into his sort of personal harem. And I mean, it's a terrible story on so many fronts, particularly, I think, for Sarai. Here she is married to Abram, and suddenly she's taken into Pharaoh's um, harem as one of his wives. And it's, it's all just awful, really. And to make it worse, Abram sort of profits out of the whole situation. Anyway, what's interesting to me in this instance is that a sickness comes over Pharaoh as a result of his even unknowing sin here. So there's an example of a specific sickness coming upon somebody as a specific judgment on a personal sin. And there's other examples you can think of. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4 because of his lack of humility, because of his pride, the Lord God brings upon him a period of insanity. He, he loses, loses his mind for a period of years. 
there's a specific judgment, a specific sickness that comes on somebody as a result of a personal sin. Or Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, when he's told that he and Elizabeth, his wife, are going to have a kid, he just doesn't believe it because they're old. He doesn't believe it and so then he is struck dumb until actually the baby is born and named. So there's another sort of specific judgment, a specific sickness that comes on somebody for a personal sin. And you might think, well, is all, all of that takes place before Jesus arrives and conducts his ministry. Maybe that's all Old Covenant stuff. But actually, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, he's talking to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church often were very, very wayward. Um, they really hadn't got holiness together at all. And Paul makes a comment when talking about some of their sin. He says, that is why some of you are sick and even have died. That is, in the New Covenant situation, it's still possible for personal sickness, even death, to come as a specific judgment on personal sin. So those are examples of where there's a a yes answer to our question. But then... There's also some pretty clear examples that you can't always draw a straight line from personal sickness to a personal sin. So if you go back to the very story of Job, at the end of the day, the Lord God himself speaks, if you know the story. And he says, it's Job who's spoken rightly. Job, who denied his friend's accusations that there was some specific sin that had brought about all of this sickness and tragedy in his life. The Lord God says Job has spoken correctly and his friends have not. So the fact that they were saying there must be a spe- some, something wrong that you've done that's brought this upon you, Job, the Lord God says actually they're not, that's not true. And if you've read the story of Job, you know that that actually wasn't true. Job was a righteous man. He hadn't done anything to bring this upon himself in terms of rebellion against God. But also, um, there's some very clear teaching from the Lord Jesus on this. Uh, We might actually look this up. I've got my Bible here. I'm going to turn up John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. Let me turn that up and read it for you. John chapter 9, we read this. As Jesus went along... He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So there's a very clear assumption. I mean, it turns out the disciples are making the same assumption that Job's friends had made. He's a guy who's blind. Someone has sinned here, either him or his parents. And But Jesus' response is very clear. Verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. That is, this blindness hasn't come as a result of anyone's particular sin, but Jesus was going to use it as an opportunity to show the marvellous power of God as Jesus, the light of the world, brings light to this guy's blind eyes. Another example you might look up is Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, Luke 13, 1 to 5, where again, Jesus says, you know, those people who died when the the tower fell on them in the city of Jerusalem, do you think they were worse sinners than anyone else living in Jerusalem? And you might have thought, oh yes, because something terrible happened to them. But Jesus' answer is no. 
though they were no worse than anyone else. So we have some clear teaching from Jesus that you can't draw a straight line between sin and sickness. Just because someone's sick, that doesn't mean that there's a particular sin that they've committed that they need to repent of. So how do we draw all of that together? And particularly in this era of COVID-19, what can we say if, if I get sick or if you get sick or someone we know and love gets sick? Can we, is there any conclusion we can draw about sin in the light of this sickness? Well, sickness is always a reminder to us that sin is our very biggest problem. That deep relationship between sin and sickness goes right back to the very beginning. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Because you'll remember the account in Genesis chapter 3 between Adam and Eve and the Lord. The Lord had given them very clear instructions. Don't eat from this particular tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the centre of the garden. Don't eat of it or you'll die. But Adam and Eve refused God's word. They refused God's word. They refused his way of living. Really, that amounted to a refusal to let God be God in their life. They wanted to call the shots, not let God call the shots. And instead, they chose to listen to the serpent. And as a consequence, they came under judgment. And the judgment involved the cursing of the earth. It involved pain in childbirth. And that was the very introduction of pain, suffering and sickness into our world. So there is a deep connection between sin and sickness. And it's true that we could say looking at any sickness, all sickness, all pain, all suffering, all death, is meant to be a reminder to each of us that sin is actually our biggest problem. They're the visual reminders, the the existential reminders that we have a spiritual problem. So don't be blind to the sign. Don't be blind to the sign that COVID-19, that any sickness is to us. It's not necessarily pointing out to you a particular personal area of sin. They will come back to that in a moment. But all sickness is a reminder to us that as human beings, we've wandered from the Lord's way. We live in a fallen, a broken world, infected by our rebellion against the one true living God, our refusal of his word and his way. So sickness is a reminder to each of us that sin is indeed our biggest problem. And it, it may be, it may be that a particular sickness is a particular judgment or prompting from God encouraging you to repent from a particular sin. It's possible. I get this from James chapter 5. Let me look up James chapter 5 and share just this with you. In James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20, we read this. James says, Is any one of you in trouble? They should pray. Is any happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? They should call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. 
and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring them back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. See, James works with this same connection, that yes, there is a connection, a deep connection between sin and sickness. And so he says, if you're sick, then do this. Call the elders of the church to pray over you, anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And in particular, if the person has sinned, they will be forgiven. And he actually talks about confessing our sins to one another and bringing people who've wandered from the truth back to God out of their sin. So his assumption is, it's always worth checking. When I get sick, when something befalls me, is this actually a reminder, a prompting from God, that actually I need to deal with a particular sin in my life? Now you could, you could go overboard with this and do it really unhelpfully. There's a way in which you could say, oh, well, look, I've got a bit of a cold or, or even I've come down with the coronavirus. Therefore, there must be something deeply wrong. I've, I've clearly got a major sin in my life and then start going all introspective and trying to dig down and what's the sin? What's the sin? The particular sin I need to repent of? No, that's just, I think that's frankly a little bit ridiculous. If there is a obvious sin in your life if there's a a sin in your life that you need to repent of i suspect you'll know it it won't require oodles of introspection it will be obvious to you you'll know it god is not interested in playing guessing games with you his spirit will prompt you and if you think yep i know what i need to repent of then confess your sin and repent Receive the Lord Jesus' abundant forgiveness. Rejoice in the power of his spirit to repent and to live a changed life. So it's always worth asking the question. But don't get too caught up on all this introspection. Whether it is or not, whether there is a specific sin that you think you need to repent of or not, all sickness, remember, is meant to Bring us back to God. Remember to seek Jesus, who's the doctor for our deepest sickness, our very sin. Remember to seek out for Jesus, the doctor for our deepest needs. Remember to come back to Jesus as the one who can strengthen you to endure through the sickness. Remember to come back to Jesus as the one who takes every situation and uses it for our good, as we're told in Romans chapter 8. And remember to come back to Jesus as the one who gives hope of deliverance, eternal deliverance from the sickness, the pain, the grief, the crying, the death that has befallen this world 
in our rejection of God. There's a few thoughts on sin and sickness. I hope that you stay well under God. I hope that your family, my family, avoid the coronavirus. But if it comes our way, we know that Jesus has got this. And we can come to him to meet all of our deepest needs, even in our darkest days. Let's move on to think about the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath came up in Mark chapter 2 and 3, when Jesus' friends, his disciples, went through the grain fields picking some, picking some grain. And there was a line right at the end of that interaction that Jesus had with the religious leaders who objected to the disciples picking the grain, when Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That's what we want to explore a little bit, that idea that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he's saying there is that the Sabbath was made to serve humankind, to benefit humankind. Humanity wasn't made to just fit a whole bunch of rules, wasn't made to serve the Sabbath and its Jewish regulations. But how are we going to think about this? How are we going to uh, think about what the Sabbath looks like now for people who are followers of Jesus. How do we think about this? Well, first of all, it's worth just remembering, where do we get this idea of the Sabbath from? And there's a couple of key passages that you really need to get on top of to understand the Sabbath from a Christian point of view. Uh, the place that you have to start is Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, it's the account of the one true living God creating all things, as you know, he does it in six days, putting days in inverted commas there. He does it in six days in chapter 1. But then on the seventh day, as Genesis chapter 2 tells us, on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. He rested from all his work of creating. And so he made the seventh day, the Sabbath day, holy. Now for the Jews, the Sabbath day was the seventh day of the week. That was the Saturday Sunday was the first day of the week. So for them, the Saturday was this special holy day where they were, to, they were to rest and not do any work. And there's a whole bunch of commands about the Sabbath right throughout the uh, Jewish first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Um, but maybe the most famous are the fact that the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments uh, is a command about the Sabbath day. So, for example, in Exodus chapter 20, or Deuteronomy chapter 5, which are the two places where the Ten Commandments are listed out, we read there in the fourth command that the God's people, the Old Testament Israelites, were to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. However, what's interesting in those two fourth commands is that a slightly different rationale is given each time. So in Exodus chapter 20, they're told to remember the Sabbath day because they're to remember that, that God rested on the seventh day, and so they're to keep the Sabbath as holy to the Lord. So it's harking back to the seventh day of creation, where God rested. However, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the rationale given for the Sabbath day is that they're to remember the Lord's rescue of them out of slavery in Egypt. So it's not looking back to creation in this instance, it's looking back to their great experience of salvation. 
So creation and salvation come together in this Sabbath remembrance. Now, what we learn when you get through to the ministry of Jesus and the new covenant that he institutes in his death and resurrection, when you get through all the way through the New Testament to Hebrews, particularly Hebrews chapter 4, it's made very clear there that the Old Testament Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath that they observed every seventh day, but also the um, the seventh year Sabbath that the land enjoyed, that they observed as well, all of those Sabbaths were pointing forward to a great future Sabbath. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 tells us. There is as the writer to the Hebrews says, a final Sabbath rest that we're still waiting to enter. That is, that's a way of talking about the new creation, when God's kingdom comes in all its fullness and when we're resurrected from the grave and we're with the Lord forever in new resurrection bodies. That whole, the whole experience of that new creation is described in Hebrews 4 as the final Sabbath rest that we're still awaiting That's the final experience of full salvation for which we're still longing. So all of those Old Testament Sabbaths, all of that Jewish Sabbath was pointing forward to this future great Sabbath rest that we will experience with Jesus. Which then raises the question, well, what are we meant to do now? Are we we meant to keep a Sabbath now or not as Christians? Well, the general principle is that As Christians following the Lord Jesus, we are no longer under the regulations of the Old Testament law. In fact, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the end of the law. He's fulfilled the law and we're no longer under the legislation of the Torah. However, however, there is still much wisdom in that Old Testament law. And even though, even though we might not be under the legislation of keeping the Sabbath day, there's still much wisdom in it. Paul seems to be heading down this same track if you look at Romans chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. Romans chapter 14, verses 5 and 6, where Paul gets very practical about the Sabbath day. He's actually discussing a different issue. He's discussing issues about food sacrificed to idols and whether Christians should eat it or not. But in passing, he just says, some treat all days the same, and some, meaning some Christians, treat some days as more holy than others. And his his comment is, everyone should do what's right in their own mind. That is, for Paul... You can treat every day the same as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. You don't have to keep a special Sabbath day, and that's fine. Or you can choose to keep a special Sabbath day, if you like. You could, it doesn't have to be a Saturday. You could create any day you like to be a special Sabbath to the Lord. And he just says you're free. You're free in Christ to pursue either. However, the principle behind the Sabbath day, the wisdom behind it, I think, is still really important. And what's the principle behind the Sabbath day? Well, it's the principle of stopping, of resting, and of refocusing. It's of stopping from your regular work. Six days in the Old Testament, they did all their regular life, all the things that you had to do just to make life happen. And on the seventh day, they were to rest from all of that work 
And it wasn't just to have a holiday. It was in order that they might remember. Remember God's rest in creation. Remember his salvation of them. So it's meant to be a day that's meant to facilitate refocusing on the Lord. Now, I think there's some dangers for us, particularly as we sort of embrace the freedom that we have to not keep a literal Sabbath day. We can treat all days the same. But the danger then is that we actually never stop. We don't stop working. We just work all the time. And if we never stop, then we never rest from our work. And sometimes one of the dangers is that maybe we do stop, maybe we do you know, have a rest, but then we're so exhausted from all the work that we don't have energy left to refocus on the Lord. We work, we rest, and nothing more. So there's a danger in not stopping. There's a danger in never refocusing. And there's also other complexities too, particularly for those who are involved in, say, gospel work, where the work that you're doing is very much spiritual in nature. It's bringing the Word of God to people in all sorts of different settings, teaching that Word, reflecting on that Word. There's a complexity there for those who are involved in gospel work too. What does it look like to stop and rest and then to actually refocus? So I just want to ask the question, have we lost the wisdom of the Sabbath practice? Have you, have I, in our daily practice, lost the wisdom that's there in that Sabbath practice of stopping, resting and refocusing? It's pretty hard in this COVID-19 situation. I mean, we're all holed up in our own little homes. And, you know, that's, that might be good, but maybe it's not so good for some. I think it's really easy to actually not stop. It's easy to not rest and to not refocus. So I guess my little challenge and a reminder for myself, just as much as for anyone else listening, is let's make use of this situation. Let's make use of it to engage with our Heavenly Father. Let's have His Word dwell richly in us in this time. COVID-19 might have meant that, you know, we're stuck at home and we can't go outside and can't do the normal things we'll do. But that doesn't stop God's purposes in my life or your life. It doesn't mean that I can't be made more like the Lord Jesus in this time. It doesn't mean I can't be growing in the fruit of the Spirit, in my knowledge and love of Him, growing to greater maturity. In fact, that's exactly what God wants to do, isn't it? That's exactly his, what he wants to see happen in my life and in your life in this time. So let's engage with our Heavenly Father. Let's read his word. Let's bring to him our praise and our requests. And what's more, let's do it in Christian community. Yeah, I know we can't gather together, but there's all sorts of opportunities in the, sort of, because of the internet to actually continue to speak God's word and encourage one another to greater maturity in Christ. Jesus is indeed Lord of the Sabbath. He hasn't abandoned the Sabbath. You can see actually in the very next story there in Mark chapter 3 
that he's really furious at the religious leaders when they want to try to stop him healing on the Sabbath because to heal on the Sabbath is to fulfill the very purposes of the Sabbath, a little window into that final Sabbath rest. But Jesus gives us freedom in how we reflect the Sabbath in our own life, that principle of stopping, resting and refocusing. So let's not use the freedom Jesus gives us to achieve less than the Lord would have us achieve in our own life, in our own growth in him. Let's not make use of that freedom to indulge ourselves. Let's make use of that freedom to really grow in the things of God, to see his purposes fulfilled in my life and yours. I hope some of those thoughts have been a little bit helpful on sin and sickness and on Sabbath. Please uh, feel free to get us some feedback and um, so that we can keep trying to serve you well uh, in this COVID-19 season. And hopefully I'll catch you next week. Take care. God bless.